Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, Episode Eight: Parasites. Of which we're we're two, uh, and I, I don't. We got. I got to do the content warning. I guess we got to do the content warning. Uh, we have to tell you that before we start the podcast, the pod, this podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes. You might not like the words we use or the ideas we bring up. If you're sensitive about these things, maybe this isn't the podcast for you. Beat it. Hi, robot. Good. All right. All the all the sensitive folks are gone now. We can get down to it. So this one, this episode is uh, called uh, Parasites because sometimes I feel like a parasite on the ass of the bike industry, uh, while other times I think they need me more than I need them. Mm, I think there's something to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we before we start, let me say this. This okay. is episode eight. This is the last of the air quotes first season that we also air quotes planned. <laughs> and we have two published or two. What, what's the word? What do you do with the podcast? How do you make it public? I don't know. We have two available. We have two. We have bequeathed two unto mankind. Two on the internet. Yeah. But yeah. we, okay. So this is, yeah. So we the two are out. People like them. Um, surprisingly, we've already been talking about other surprisingly. surprisingly. I really appreciate it. Like people have reached out randomly and actually asked, you know, like, how do I find it? And said that they liked it. And, uh, it's shocking, you know, uh, cause I, I don't like listening to myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but, but, so we, we have already talked about some other topics, including, but not limited to pants crapping and the abundance of Seven Eleven. Mm. Um, mm. But I think, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll get to it later. <laughs> so I assume we're going to keep on trucking before we dive into today's topic, which is our barnacle like existences on the side of the bike industry. I'm curious if how is revolting going for you? Is it how you expected? Is it better? Is it worse? Me? Or are you asking rhetorically? No, no, I'm asking you. Oh, it's good. It's good. I really like, I like doing it. I mean, uh, it's weird to, to package a conversation to me, you know, mm. kind of discuss this in the first one. And I've listened to the first two, uh, casts episodes, the first two yep. releases. And, um, uh, it occurs to me that I get so in my head about stuff that you're talking about that then I respond in ways that aren't necessarily, I don't, I don't know, don't necessarily relate to exactly what you were talking about, but for whatever <laughs> reason in my head, I turned it into this thing. So I'm, I'm going to try to be better about listening and processing uh, and, 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 ha and make, you know, uh, allowing the conversation to flow sort of organically. 
It it might be humanity's single largest challenge, learning to both talk and listen. Mm. Right? Yeah. Like I, I don't think you should worry about that too much. I felt like I was I'm generally historically pretty good at it, but you know, I, like I said, like we have 45 minutes to get through uh, a conversation or an hour to get through a conversation where points need to be made uh, pointedly and mm. concisely and, you know, landing the proverbial plane isn't always my strongest. Uh, I wasn't in my strongest suit. So um, that has been a little bit of a challenge for me. Try to try to be better. Try to be We're getting better. better. Getting better every day. Yeah. I like it. Though. So, I think it's fun. Also, someone asked me the other day why we called it revolting. And since it was my idea that you just went along with. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know why. It's I feel like I, I should explain, uh, if only briefly. So revolting means two things here. It means what people sometimes think of us and what we're into. You know, they might find us revolting. And it means what we're doing maybe via V. Vis-a-vis? V? Vis-a-vis. Yeah. Vis-a-vis uh, -vis the industry that's pushing whatever narratives they think are going to sell stuff. So we're sort of like, you know, fuck that. Yeah. In the end, I think names don't need to be that important, right? Like if you've ever named a band or a child, mm. you know that because there's no perfect name. There's just like not a simple and elegant way to sum up multifaceted things sometimes. Right. Unless you're going to go with a really long name, like All Hail the Black Market, which perfectly captures exactly what you're trying to do. Yeah, I had a zine a bunch of years ago. Uh, I only did two or three issues of it, but it was called uh, A Beggar's Answer to a Question Posed. And this was like, you know, in the 90s. And people were like, what the fuck? Does, what is that? Like, I, it's just a bunch of words that sound good together. You know, if you think about... Okay, I'm going to go off on a little ta side tangent. But if you think about... The way that you can construct a sentence or how a joke is told, like there's an aesthetic to yeah. a, a sentence, to, to my mind, um, and it's the best way to deliver an idea or the best way to deliver a visual. And I think that um, I think it's really interesting having not spent any time <clears throat> studying the English language to see that there are funny ways to deliver or interesting ways to deliver an idea in as few words as possible. It's, it's sort of something that I began learning about by reading Twitter. You know, it could be just <laughs> verbal diarrhea or somebody can really pack a punch in 120 words. And I liked that challenge. So anyway, clearly something that, um, something that has interested me, but yeah, I just go with long meandering titles whereas revolting is pretty short and to the point. Yeah. I mean, I think like we could have called it Jeffrey and that would have been also Jeffrey adequate. I like that. Jeffrey. I do want to, I wanted to have a name forever. Uh, I can't take credit for this. My, um, a buddy of mine that I used to play music with a long time ago, it was his idea. And I've long wanted to start a band called punch drunk and the zero sound. I like mm -hmm. that. So if we never if we ever get away from revolting and or Jeffrey and we wanted to call the podcast Punch Drunk and the Zero Sound, I'd be OK with that. All right. Well, maybe next season we'll just season like I, I'm talking about things. <laughs> I feel, this is such a make believe thing we're doing. 
Uh, yeah, next season. Let's go with that. You got to think big to be big, right? That's right. I'll, I, I want to throw this out too. My friend Mike um, uh, told me one time, he pulled me aside. He said, you know what? If I was a wrestler, m- my name would be Judgmental. <laughs> I like and it. And that was all he needed to say to me right then. <laughs> I love, I love like punk rock names like that, you know, like Bobby Pan or or Pat Smear or Lee (laughs) Ving. Like, I love that shit. I mean, I never, I never, I always wanted one. I thought a funny name. Well, Stevel Knievel is a pretty, pretty good one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose you can't really give yourself the name. And my friend Sarah gave that name to me a long time ago. Yeah. Um, But I just like, yeah, okay. I'll Stevel Knievel. Oh, what was the other, uh. Oh, uh, oh, Colt Stevers, <laughs> Colt Stevers. That was the one that I came up with that uh, one. I love that one because I'm a huge oh, Fall yeah. Guy fan. Right. Colt, Colt Stevers. Stevers. <laughs> uh, I got to write that down because I'll forget it again for sure. <laughs> uh, so what does, uh, let's talk about barnacles. Yeah. So the bike industry, colon, <laughs> what are we even doing here? Trying to eke out a living, I guess. You know, I mean, I don't know any other industries in, as intimately as I know the bicycle industry, and it sure seems like everybody involved in it is like, you know, they were a bike enthusiast, and so they got a job, whatever, uh, repping or doing sales or wrenching or any manner of whatever sort of vocation you can find in the industry. And some people have worked their way up to be presidents of companies or uh, marketing directors or product development or whatever, you know, but everybody, like we all kind of started on the same page. None of us have any business acumen. I don't think at least not from my perspective. Yeah. I think we're all just sort of lucky. Uh, And I don't know, you know, what, what's uh, those who can't do teach those who can't teach, teach PE, those who can't teach PE get in the bike industry. (laughs) That could be. Who fucking knows? Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing here. Well, it's funny. I I know a lot of bike shop owners and the big challenge for bike shop owners is that knowing a lot about bikes is definitely not sufficient to be a successful bike shop owner. Mm -mm. No, No, you have. And then even if you're a, even if you know a whole lot about bikes and you're a pretty like naturally a pretty good business person. That's also not sufficient because you also have to be a good marketing person and you also have to be a good salesperson. Like they're just the, the total skill set to run a bike shop is, is pretty stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think that I, I think a lot of people kind of underestimate, you know, I've seen a lot of people in the last 15 years or whatever who were, who were enthusiasts and decided to embark on a career, you know, they're going to open a bike shop or whatever. And then and I've seen it I actually way longer than 15 years. Like I've seen it the whole time. I've seen people get into the business or start a bike shop and then completely lose their marbles. And there was a time about three years ago where I was entertaining the idea of buying a friend's shop and having it be like a gallery slash boutique slash physical manifestation of all hail the black market. And, uh, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, that dr- air quote dream lasted about 
a month. <laughs> like solidly, like I was really sort of starting to figure out, you know, what it would take to put something like that together. And I just realized the amount of money that I was going to be putting into it versus the amount of grief <laughs> I was going to be getting out of it just was imbalanced. Yeah. I, guys used to ask me, cause I've sold bikes and I've done marketing and I've done consulting and I've done a lot of things. And people would ask me like, do you think you're going to own a shop one day? Do you, are you going to open a shop? And I didn't, there was no hesitation. I was like, no, yeah. definitely not. Yeah. And, and they'd be, they'd say, well, why you, you love bikes. And I was like, there's three letters that tell the whole story. And those letters are S K U. As soon as you have to think about keeping track of various length Presto valves, I'm out. Yeah. And that's the least of your worries. <laughs> that is the, yeah, that is the, I'm, you, I can't even imagine being managing an inventory. And I should say, I should qualify that a million years ago, I worked at Guitar Center and I was the I was the operations manager. I actually opened the Boston Guitar Center. Now I don't know how many stores they have, like one kajillion. But at the time, I think we were the twentieth store, and so it was like really early. Well, it was fairly early. And anyway, I was the inventory manager, and I got paid extra if I could keep track of all our stuff. And so I spent two years just losing my absolute mind trying to keep track of like mic cables and guitar picks and everything drumsticks how many how many pairs of this drumstick do we have oh my god and then at that point you have to do inventory on like a monthly basis and then everybody who works there hates you because they just counted all the guitar picks and drumsticks and yeah well, they, they, they cycle count, right? So every day I counted a category. So guitar picks would come up like once every two or three months. Mm. And then you true up your inventory. The worst was actually cables because there's cables for everything. There's yeah. keyboard cables and there's squiggly ones and there's different gauges and different jacks. And, but my, my, yeah, we're, we're spinning up into space like we do, but <clears throat> All of the challenges of owning a bike shop are crazy. Yeah. And I'm one of the things that I do in addition to cycling independent is that I consult with shop owners on how to do certain things better, like the stuff that I know how to do. And a lot of that work is given away really because I mean, both because those people are my friends, but also because what they're up against and what they need to know. I just, it's so hard. It's so hard. Like if, if someone calls the shop and says, Hey, the map on your website is broken. Like, what is the, what do you do as the shop owner? You're like, Oh, well, let me just dive into the word. Like however, my HTML, you gotta be able to write code. Uh, No, you throw your computer in the dumpster. You do, you do. I I don't know. There's it's, I mean, with, with running any business, I would expect you have to hire people to do that stuff. Like focus on what you're good at and hire people to take care of what you're not good at. Yeah. And which is, I mean, but then you don't have, you don't have the money. You don't, I mean, it takes a lot of dough to, to get all of the personnel in to, to do all of the stuff that you're not good at. And when you are not good at as much stuff as I'm not good at, (laughs) 
(laughs) You need a fucking army of people to take care of all that stuff. So, yeah, I can't imagine how daunting it would be to have a brick and mortar. And especially with manufacturing, um, with manufacturing as screwy as it's been over the course of the last year and the bike boom and all of this and everybody wants to get outside and ride bikes since they can't do anything else. Like, you're absolutely, you're going to be completely losing your marbles. I couldn't, couldn't. Yeah. I feel real bad for, for bike shop owners. The ones, the ones I think, and I've talked to a lot of them this year who have like, part of what we talk about is mental health too, right? Like mm-hmm. it's last, a lot of last those people point. are, yeah, a lot of those people are in crisis because they don't feel like they can do their job. Like just the rug gets pulled out from under them all the time. But <clears throat> I think, um, the ones who are successful are the ones who give the least shits. The ones who are just like, yeah, I can't get that. I told the customer I can't get it. The customer's mad. Whatever. Like, blood from a stone, moving on. You know, I don't feel like I had a conversation with this messenger kid in Seattle a few years ago. And he was, he worked, well, I guess he quit messengering and was working at a shop. And I was sort of expressing my frustration with the industry because, say, from just a very elemental technical standpoint or mechanical standpoint, you've got a shop and... You have a mechanic who's, you know, relatively adept and knowledgeable, um, you know, but they've only been working on, they're sort of like the in-house suspension expert, but they've never worked on a quad 21 and you don't have the tools for a quad 21 and they've never worked on a head shock. And anybody who's ever worked on a head shock knows that it's like, um, it's like Hellraiser, like the box opens up and, and every fucking creepy crawler from the depths comes out. It, they're just, you know, so so then you've got companies like Quality or or, uh, or independent shock treatment companies or wheel building houses because you can afford to pay, pay a mechanic, uh, you know, whatever, minimum wage or $15 an hour or whatever to fix flats and do, do, do derailleur tunes or, or to, general tune-ups or or whatever. Um, but if you're gonna, uh, if you're gonna pay somebody what they're worth, because you're not just like a, a Ducati mechanic or a Volkswagen mechanic, if you're a really, really good, qualified, knowledgeable mechanic, you know, compatibility and incompatibility between groups, between generations of groups, between, uh, brands of groups, if there are any, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And you're not going to be able to afford as an independent business owner, you're not going to be able to afford to send your mechanics to clinics. And so because the industry is constantly trying to, you know, next year's is going to be better than this year's and the year after that's going to be better than last year's and so on and so forth. So you've got this constantly evolving technical knowledge that you have to try to cling on to and you you can't afford a shot an independent shop rarely can afford to pay somebody what they're worth to keep on top of all of that shit you're not you're not hiring career mechanics an independent no. shop can't afford to hire a career mechanic right and the 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 industry or the the manufacturers because they're constantly evolving stuff. I mean, when I was working in shops, I rarely had people come in to teach me how to work on the stuff that we were seeing. Um, 
And so it's just this big vicious cycle. And then this, and then the, sh- the shock treatment houses, they're making tons of money and it doesn't, I can send a fork away and have it back fixed and back in no time. And I pay less for that than I would a me- to teach a mechanic how to do it. And so this, right. anyway, this kid is, <clears throat> this kid is like, well, why don't you open a shop then? I was like, cause I'm not fucking <laughs> stupid. Like that's the short version. And it's just, it's, it's this Oculus. Is that the snake eating its own tail? Is that the word for that? Oh, is it Arabros? Arabros? I don't know. I don't know. I just yeah. learned that word a couple months ago and I've already forgotten about it. But <laughs> Oculus is the um, VR headset. Oh, yeah, that's definitely not what I meant then. The neighbors have one. My kids are out in the yard waving their hands around <laughs> like. <laughs> so the, I feel like the industry doesn't doesn't help shops and shops are desperately trying to keep up with the industry. And, uh, it just goes around and around and around. The other, the other, the other piece there is that I think the consumer expects every business to be like Amazon, right? Like, Oh, I can just get on your website and do everything that I need. All my interactions Mm -hmm. with you should be there. And, you know, you should like, I should be able to book a tune up online and I should be able to buy all your stuff. And I want to see your whole inventory. And there are some solutions for that, but I'm, and I used to think I used to work with some shops that were like, Oh, you want to email us? We're shop name at Google at gmail.com. And I'd be like, come on guys, you got to be more pro than that. But I actually think that those shops are doing it right because they're, what they're saying is, yeah, don't expect that shit from us. We're not doing that. <laughs> Yeah. Bring your bike in here. We'll, we'll fix your derailleur. Well, I think that's what they're saying. There's a lot of immediate gratification that, you know, that's available. The internet has kind of upset the apple cart, so to speak. And I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right. I think people assume a lot. Uh, you know, people, even, even my little imprint, like people get a hold of, people get a hold of me and, you know, why is it taking a week to get this thing. Well, I ran out of shipping containers. You know, I ran out of envelopes. I ran out of boxes. Yeah. I've had people, I did, uh, I did two runs of this one particular skateboard deck, but I could, I only did, I did a hundred and then I did a hundred. And when the second hundred came out, people were up in arms, like collectors were all pissed off. Why didn't you, I thought it was limited edition. (laughs) You fucks. I only did 200. Like that's it. That's all there are. That's limited. The only reason I didn't do 200 initially was because I couldn't afford to do 200 initially. And one guy said, well, you should work harder and make more money. Like you fucking shithead. I refunded a lot of people their money. I'm like, I don't have, I can't send these things out because I don't have boxes, but people are so accustomed to having everything just the way they want it. That when you deal with like, a normal business or, you know, that is subject to the whims of the universe. You don't get it that yeah. way. No, my friend Neil re- uh, refers to that with customers. He refers to that as demanding satisfaction. Uh huh. Oh, so-and-so called to demand satisfaction. Will you give him a call back? <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. That's funny. I'm all out of satisfaction. So I'm a big fan of inviting people to, go elsewhere, inviting yeah. people not to shop at the store, inviting people not to patronize my business. Well, what's, what's interesting there for me about you is that everything, all hell the black, everything really. Yeah. But specifically fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I 
tell me about that mole. <laughs> no, um, the I would you know knowing you uh, and being a frequent consumer of all hell to black market. Um, you know, that shit looks pretty buttoned up. Like I can click on stuff and buy it. Um, you know, you have, you have sponsors who, you know, you can click through, like it's, it's kind of a pro deal. It's only taken me 11 years and it's yeah, not, you're right on pace. The back, <laughs> the back end is so slow right now. I've been struggling with, um, I've been struggling with, uh, uh, it's like back end speeds. Mm-hmm. But for the last few weeks and it's just I like i'll click you. on a thing i'll try to or like to click on to write a post or upload a photo or whatever and it's like 30 seconds 35 seconds 40 seconds and then the whole thing times out mm-hmm. and then i have to refresh and then by that point because my attention span is so bad i forget what i'm doing and i'm on to other shit and then I, and then five things later i remember the first thing that i was setting out to do to begin with mm-hmm. so I'm glad it looks that way from from the outside, but on the inside, it's like a it's like a house that has shutters and is really pretty and flower boxes and stuff like that. But the inside yeah. is it's just an absolute inferno. Yeah, and I'm r- running there's, around with my pants around my ankles, like trying to find there's a, water a dead gun. relative in a ro- in a rocking chair upstairs. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mess. It's a mess. But thank you, I appreciate that. I like it. Oh. I mean, I like when it works good. You know. I don't understand how all the code and all the the black magic that goes on to, to make the internet work, but certainly appreciate people's patronage and their patience. Yeah. Well, it's hard. I, you know, the other thing that people, here's a misconception that people have, like um, if you do a run of t-shirts, um, I guarantee you 100% you will order the wrong sizes. Mm-hmm. So people think like, oh, you know, Steve will makes money on T-shirts. I bet you don't. I bet you only do T-shirts because you like to have T-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have enough black T-shirts, so I always have to yeah. order an, an additional 12 dozen just in case. Right. Uh, no, there is. Um, I mean, that's the gamble. Like with anybody, you know, big business or a little business, you are investing in product and then you have this product sitting on your shelves. And if you have product sitting on your shelves, that's money. It's money. It's just burning, you know? And so I have to feel like anytime I order a new thing, I have to feel confident that I will with relatively or relative ease get through the, um, get through all of this stuff or else I'm, you know, out a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks or 500 bucks or 2000 bucks, you know? I mean, that's that's why all your stuff's limited edition. It's kind of, you know, there's the, that company called Fucked, F-U-C-T. I yeah. believe we've talked about this brand before. I've always really liked, I've always really liked how, how that guy runs his business. Cause it's just like his degree of not giving a fuck is white hot and he'll do <laughs> stuff like, you know, uh, limited edition, um, uh, porcelain, uh, incense holder or something like that for $450 and they sell out in 15 minutes. And it's just like everybody knows the world over. Everybody knows when a new fuck thing comes out. Like I don't particularly like Hawaiian shirts, but you know, it's a fucked Hawaiian shirt. So I got to buy it (laughs) in case I don't get the opportunity to again. And he just kind of makes whatever he wants to make. And right. 
people go bananas for it. And, uh, I have to, I apply the limited, uh, I apply the limited sticker on the stuff that I do, not because I think that it's going to increase in value or it's going to like increase people's interest, but because I just can't afford to do it any other way. Right. And I, I hope that it increases people's interests, but that's usually how it works. So when I think about your place in the cycling industry and, and mine too, because I, I feel like we're plowing much the same furrow. Um, I think about that scene in An Officer and a Gentleman when Lewis Gossett Jr. spraying um, Richard Gere in the face and trying to get him to quit the, is it the Marines? What's he in? I don't remember. Must be the Navy, right? Never saw yeah. it. Yes. Never saw oh. Air Air Force. No. The one he wears the hat. It's the, yeah, it's it's the, the Navy, the, right? The armed for the branch of the armed forces where they wear hats. Yeah, it's the hat, hat group. The hat brigade. <laughs> anyway, so he's like, why won't you quit? Why won't you quit? And then uh, Richard Gere's character, who who was like brought up in a Philippine uh, brothel, the character. Uh, and maybe Richard Gere, too. I don't know. I don't know why he got that role. But um, uh, he says, I got no place else to go. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, this is the land of the broken toys. Yeah. I don't know. I think, you know, when we're talking about like, uh, we, were, we talked about the underbike parties that I used to have in Vegas that were sort of an alternative to whatever, you know, gala event that SRAM was holding where you'd have to, you know, all of the bottom dwellers would show up to the party and get to pick over the leftover sandwich trays or whatever, you know, and it's like you, you, you get, oh my God, I... I, I walked in and uh, I, I saw uh, George Hincapie across the room with his bedazzled jeans. I was pretty sick. I think that I think that in any any industry or any well, no, I can't say that. Um, I think within any group, any culture, say for lack of a better term, there's always going to be sort of an outside element or an underground element. And because I am attracted to an outsider underground element in, say, music, that's sort of where I found myself or what I found myself being attracted to in the bicycle world as well. There's always going to be an underground. There's always going to be the outsiders. And I think just based on your history, what I know of your history, and based on my history, it was inevitable that we would wind up being uh we'd wind up finding ourselves in this part of the bicycle industry like i don't have any interest being in the eye of the storm i like being on the on the bleachers you know i don't want to be in the (laughs) game under the bleachers well i like being under the bleachers yeah i was thinking about this because this is a this is a topical and a current thing. So skateboarding is currently going through kind of a minor schism, right? Where a big chunk of skaters are excited to finally be represented at the Olympics. And another <clears> big <throat> chunk is like, fuck the Olympics. Yeah. And maybe in, in this scenario, the Olympics is just the pivot point for this argument about what skating really is. Like, is it street and creativity and independence and rebellion? Or is it the barracks and skate parks and... Right. And content Co- coaches contests. and and you know you're putting your kid and get stint your kid to windward wood woodward so that maybe they they might end up in the Olympics and then you got like you know like coach parents who are right. like pushing this 
this agenda on their yeah i think that part of it is super fucked up but it, i it was it was inevitable you know because skateboarding's fucking cool like people are gonna sure. people are always attracted to what's cool but they have it almost it's almost like people have to get a pass if 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 every if the majority says that something's cool then it's okay for me to think it's cool too instead of just being attracted to something because they genuinely feel it in their soul you know Mm. Uh, the thing that kind of irks me about skateboarding being in the Olympics is now everybody's a fucking expert, you know, and remember right. when road biking blew up and every time you'd go out, somebody would yell out the window and call you Lance <laughs> now, because the only fucking person anybody recognizes in skateboarding is Tony Hawk. He's like the poster child. Now it's just like, well, Tony Hawk this or Tony Hawk that. And that, that's, um, that's that's a bit much. It's the same. I mean, it's the same level of aggravation for me. But I think, unlike cycling or skiing or any other discipline that takes money and location to do it, skateboarding takes nothing. And I think this is going to open the doors for a ton of kids who might not have previously seen some way out of a potentially bad situation. You know, like I think of, I always think of kids, a story I heard about these kids in the, in the East Bay in East Oakland who had grown up in East Oakland and had never seen the Bay Bridge. And like, who is to say that those kids couldn't be the next great downhill skier or those mm -hmm. kids couldn't be the next great, the next great uh, velodrome cyclist or mountain biker or whatever the discipline but they, they, they've never even seen a bridge that's four miles away from their house. You know, how are they going to have access to any of this stuff? Skateboarding is the equalizer. You can get a skateboard for nothing. And if it's something that you love and something that, you know, you want to you pursue in that instance, plus to see the girls winning gold and any girl can now say, oh, this isn't just like a boys club. This isn't just or the thing that guys do girls were killing it girls can kill it girls are gonna sure. be killing it the next five ten years presuming humanity lasts that long <laughs> is gonna be really interesting to watch so did you just make a pro olymp uh, skateboarding in the olympics argument i did i hate it <laughs> but i love that part of it yeah. Like, I think the, the, the footage was fucking boring. The parks were boring. Like, the whole thing. Like, to me, none of that represents what I love about skateboarding. But who cares because it's going to light somebody up. Yeah. 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 And that, I think that's really neat. Do you think, so the reason I brought it up, because I think this sort of, and, and the, I forget who it was, whether it was Tony Alva or somebody else who said about skateboarding the Olympics, like, it's cool, but they need us more than we need them. Mm, yeah, that's been a, that's, fuck, that's been a, a perspective that's been pushed for so long. I don't remember who first said it. Um, right. I, I've heard it from a bunch of different people. I feel like Jeff Grasso rests his beautiful heart and soul. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think I probably heard him say something to that effect first. But it's true, like, Everybody wants to get a piece of skateboarding. Skateboarders can maneuver in any direction, whether it be music or art or acting or whatever. But it's like the out the others 
they can't just get into skateboarding. There's it's a pretty closely guarded uh realm. At least the inside is, you know. Then there's right. the outside and that's that's commercialization in the Olympics and everybody on Twitter bemoaning America. Now we're really a culture in decline if America can't even get gold in skateboarding, blah 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 blah. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. Stupid. Well, to your point about, you know, um empowering unempowered people i was watching the uh the last episode of love letters the skateboarding last night the, the japan the, the, the japan, japan episode so and just good. yeah what i mean just the idea there like you there's all of this footage of kids or not even kids but skaters getting kicked out of spots by yeah. security because it's discourteous to the general public to yeah. skate and how all of these, it was pretty inspiring. Like all of these people who are just like, you know, what they had to do to skate mm -hmm. and how their culture, like in this country, I think like skaters got sort of deified, right? Like that's the Tony Alva story, right? Like we definitely put on a pedestal. He's like the King cool guy. Yeah, he is. Um, he is but I mean, to be fair, he is, he is also he is the King also cool the guy. King that's cool true. Guy. Yeah. But I mean, they, you know, so their culture was very much like y you are unacceptable. Um, and this is just people doing what they love to do. Yeah. And so that whole idea of them fighting for it. And then you see like Yuta Horigome do what he does. And it's pretty exciting. Oh, I love it. I love I love it so much. Um, the thing that was that I that really grabbed me was um, a bunch of years ago, I, I, I traveled around Europe. And so I, I, I carried a skateboard with me and slept in bushes and saw friends and goofed around, whatever. But because at that point there was no internet and there wasn't really videos, you know, like you'd see what you'd see in magazines or whatever. But the kids that I was meeting, especially in Southern France, like people had their own unique styles and their own tricks. And now everything is really sort of uniform because you can see how a trick is done. So you're going to, it's monkey see monkey do you watch right. somebody do a trick on the internet and then you, and then you're 3000 miles away and you're doing the same trick. But because these kids had no point of reference, they had this whole unique, weird style. It was super cool. And that was mm. the first time I traveled, you know, out of the United States. Um, and watching the footage in Japan, despite the fact that they have internet and they have access to, to seeing how all of these tricks are done, their style of skating is totally different than anything I've seen before. It was really refreshing. Uh, and I think now, you know, it's going to be, it's the, the cultural impact that's going to take place in Japan because skateboarding is noisy and it's discourteous or whatever. Yeah, but you're you you're the best in the world. Despite all of that, you're the best <laughs> right. in the world. Like now, what are you going to do with it? It's going to be a huge shift for 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 Japan culturally, I think. And and I just Rick and Buddy and Jeff and Vans for sponsoring it. Um, I I love it. I love in if if folks who are listening don't know what we're talking about, Van for the last several years. Um, Vans Shoes has sponsored a video series called Love Letters to Skateboarding. And it is hands down my most favorite thing on the internet. Um, I have my favorite episodes, but it's just, I just, I adore it. The Fathers and Sons episode. I've watched that probably 
20 times and it makes me laugh. Steve Olson is, he's the, yeah, he's, I just, I can't, I don't have enough good things to say about it. I love that series and I'm so sad that it's not going to continue now that, that uh, Jeff died. I don't know. Yeah. Steve Olson is the only person who could replace Jeff, I think. I mean, I could watch that guy talk for forever and I'd be satisfied. Anyway, I'm getting, getting off track again. Yeah, we're way off track, but I also do want to say, I, <laughs> I also do want to say, um, I think you're right about, you know, I watch a lot of skate videos, um, and I think you're right sort of about the homogenization of tricks because I can watch, uh, let me think of a good example. I don't know. I can watch whoever do their, their trick even a new trick i can watch them do it and dissect it and and reproduce it and kids kids are coming up the curve on tricks so young and so fast now mm -hmm. but then you see a skater like andy anderson for example who is such a nine ball that guy's so wild so creative so cool yeah like you're my first take because i'm a i have my own biases too is like who is this kook with a helmet on yeah and then you're like, oh, you discover very quickly he is the kook who is the most original skater in the American game, and he's Canadian uh, right North, now. North American. We can, we'll, yeah. ad we'll adopt him. Yeah, yeah. He's in. I do think he lives in, I don't know, the valley now or something. I don't know. Yeah. But um, my point, my, po my point at the very beginning before we went off there was that the bike industry also has like, does the bike industry now oh, this is really tortured. <laughs> does the bike in do, does the bike industry need us more than we need them? Um, yeah. Uh, do they need the dirt bags. I think in it, order to, I think, I think the dirt bags need the dirt bags, you know, because <laughs> like we're, we're foundational, whether we want to admit it or not, we're foundational to the industry. And, um, some of the, some of the stuff that we've been involved in over the years. And I say, we is sort of universal, like the, we, the dirt bags I've seen kind of permeate up into the upper echelon of, of, of the bicycle world. Um, do they Gary recognize Fisher, Joe breeze? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, it was like dirt when they were, and they were the, they Tom were the Richie. dirt bags, you know, like, right, right, right. Yeah. And then it turned into this whole thing, but I, I mean, this whole, you know, national and, and global industry, and obviously it was, you know, existed in a much bigger and much different realm in, in Europe and, and Japan, you know, than it did here before it did here. Uh, so do we need them more than they need us? I think they don't necessarily, if they is they or the man, you know, in the big <laughs> right. office who's controlling right. everything. I don't even, I'm not even sure if they know of our existence. Well, I think they, I think but that they're they, in, they're definitely influenced by us. Sure. I mean, there's no mountain biking without dirt bags. Right. Right. Yeah. The whole Marin County clunker scene does not, there's no mountain biking without those kooks. Sure. Right. But whether or not that, like, you know, I, I feel like because the bicycle world is so transient you've got people coming in every few years. It's like a body shedding its cells. And then it's got all these people who are like, 
hey, I'm here, like, now let the party begin, and I've invented this thing, when, you know, you didn't invent this thing. This thing has been around forever. It's just that you didn't know about it. Just because you didn't know about it didn't mean that it didn't already exist. Hmm. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a group of, there's a group of uh, dirtbags, a super dirtbags in the Bay Area called the DFL, and they're old cycling group. And they're fucking cool, really beautiful people involved in this. And they've been for 25 years, I think, have been putting on this, the cross dress series is an outlaw cyclocross series every year. And it's mm-hmm. $5 to enter oh, yeah, 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 or yeah, free yeah, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. dress yep. in drag. Yeah. And, um, and I've heard like some of the 25, 28 years, maybe, uh, I've heard people talking about like, who the fuck are those old guys? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, no, they're the ones that those are the guys. They planted the seed, you know, like, yeah, you think just because you discovered MASH SF in 2015 that you somehow like have plotted this course of, 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 of created this, this realm, like, like they're the ones that made it okay to be us, you, right. you know, right. Um, so I feel like, you know, like with skateboarding and perhaps we keep going back to this, it's young enough that it's easy to look back and see the people who, who blazed the trail. Whereas in cycling, it's not a kind, it's not a kind industry. It's not a kind world to its elders, you know, Mm. like I've seen people kind of like scoff, like who's the old fat guy, you know, it's like, oh, the old fat guy is actually the is is actually uh you know one of the first cyclocross racers in america you know he, right he was the guy on the nationals team yeah so shut up like fucking pay attention learn your history right I don't know. you you may join our tribe but you must learn our legends <laughs> well just just i don't know i don't know yeah, I feel I feel like I feel like learning your learning like why you're doing what you're doing is important. Learning your history, learning, you know. Mm. Like I go along with that. I, you know, I'm but, not just giving you shit. I'm also agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I like to play both sides. I think yeah. This is I mean it, I can't even I can't articulate it. It, it frustrates me. Because maybe it's partially me. I'm just like bummed that I'm getting older. And I know I'm right on the cusp of being like the old weird guy that the kids talk shit about. Or maybe I already (laughs) am and I'm just not aware of it. But like, you know. Lean into that. You got to lean into that. Don't be resentful. You got (sighs) to lean into that. Laugh while you can, kids. You'll be sitting in this chair soon. Yeah. Provided you, you actually got the got the uh, nerve to stick it out that long. Yeah. Uh, so yes, back to the original point. I think anytime there's any, uh, overarching big, uh, quote scene, there's going to be the outside scene. There's going to be the under, uh, the upside down scene or the, 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 whatever, um, the weirdos. Uh, and I've always been attracted to the weirdos. So yeah, same. We're, impor- we're important. I would argue that actually it's not just that you're going to find us there associated, that most of these things start with us. Like 
there's no mountain biking without dirt bags. There's no fixie craze without dirt bags. Yeah. There's no gravel movement without people who are on road bikes and we're like, yeah. Thinking out yeah. a little bit outside the box. Yeah. I mean, it's a, stu- it's a stupid cliche, but like all of this stuff started the whole, you know, riding one speeds. Like, yeah. You know, the first year I saw a production single speed bike at uh interbike, I was like, Oh fuck. Like, okay, this is actually, you know, Travis Brown showing up to worlds and Rancho Cucamonga to race. Like, okay, I guess, I guess people know about this now. I guess Jawbreaker's on a major label now. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Our shit freeze. Oh, there you are. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, not to, not to say that like I'm some kind of gatekeeper or anything, cause that's definitely not what I'm trying to imply or not what I'm trying to say, or like, you know, people have to bow down to me because I've been here for however long. I just think it's important to uh, recognize why you're doing the things you're doing, you know? Well, what you're saying, the words that you're saying could actually come verbatim from Jeff Grosso's mouth about skateboarding, right? Like, you got to understand why the trick looks that way. You got to understand where, how it evolved and where it came from. You don't. You can just do it. But you should understand. Yeah. Well, and he's funny because, you know, on one hand, he's like, you know, get at it. What are you doing still sitting here? Go ride your skateboard. And then the next episode, he's like, if you don't tuck your knees, fucking stop. <laughs> Just right. quit. Quit doing it, you know? And uh, I was like, well, what what am I supposed to do here? I, yeah. <laughs> no, there's that. That is a beautiful contradiction. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I think he said at that point, he was like pretty blown out on painkillers after back surgery. So he was <laughs> feeling extra grumpy. When they recorded that one. Uh, so, so you just got to a good point. I would, this is one of the questions I have scrolled down, scrawled down here to ask you, how would you describe your role in the cycling industry? And how close do you think you're coming to achieving what you wanted to? Uh, man, mm, how would I describe my that's role? A, that's like a really shitty interview question. <laughs> When you're done, could you name three weaknesses? <laughs> uh, I think it's I think it's kind of subjective. I mean, I don't, you know, again, no gatekeeper. Um, I love well, one time I met a woman in Fort Collins a bunch of years ago at a Swobo party. And she she said that she um, she said she couldn't really tell based on the voice of my website. She couldn't tell if it was written by a man or a woman, which I oh. loved. Like that was the highest compliment, you know. Like mm-hmm. I, I've, I've always tried to make the table, so to speak, I try to make the table available for anybody, um, you know, uh, regardless of, of gender or, or cycling discipline or anything. Like if you, you know, you like riding bikes and you're not a shithead, you like playing outside, um, you maybe have a little irreverent take on things or don't take yourself too seriously. Like, we're all welcome to be a part of this conversation. I hope so. I guess to answer your question, like I would like to be, I want to be one of the good guys, you know, like I want to be somebody who, um, um, sort of dismantles the, the cool or, uh, dismantles the, 
helps dismantle the notion that that you have to fit into a certain parameter or a certain box or personality or physical type or whatever, you know, like uh-huh. not if you're like, this is that surly sticker that said, uh, you know, just cause we both ride bikes doesn't mean we're friends or something. Mm. I always thought that was really funny and kind of on point. We don't have to be friends, but we can certainly share the same perspective or, or a similar love for a thing. <clears throat> mm. So I guess I'd like to, I would just like to make it, so that uh, I would like for for people to feel welcome. I know that's a little contradiction to say that, you know, I like that sticker, but then I want to make people feel welcome when that sticker probably doesn't make people feel welcome. Well, but at the same time, like, the, yeah, it's a tough sticker. At the same time, like, you don't have to be my friend. Like, you don't have to look like me yeah. or be like me or think like me to ride a bike. You could ride your bike in the Olympics. You could have talent, whatever. Go fuck yourself. But, you know, have fun. <laughs> we still ride bikes. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a, a good question. I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know how to describe my role. Um, because I don't want it to, I don't want it to whatever I'm doing to become commercialized, you know? And, but uh, you, but you got to, you got to make a living, but I got to make a living. So it's kind of yeah. like if I could continue to kind of mo- monetize my, what I do, at least to the degree that I can continue to make a living and maybe, uh, promote or push some cool kind of maybe sub- subversive agenda along the way, or, uh, encourage people to do trail work or encourage people to, ride bikes in a capacity that isn't a traditional or a normal way of riding bikes or whatever, like, you know, just continue to, to uh, try to create a little outsider's coffee clutch for people. I like it. Okay. And so ha- having said that, how often do you say or do something on all hell of black market that you think might cost you money? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> do you ever, do you ever, does your, does your finger ever hover over the, the little post button and you think, uh, maybe this is too much? No, you know, not, no, not really. Oh, to yeah. the second part of that last question, how close do I, I guess I'm kind of like, I guess I've kind of achieved it, you know, but it's always a work in progress. Sure. Um, I, I don't, I don't say anything. I never write anything just to be contrarian or that I think is, is going to piss people off. You know, like I understand that I might not share the same perspectives with people, but, um, because I'm open, I mean, in the whole time I've done it, I've only gotten into kind of a rub with, with people just a few times. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's really easy to, to kind of kill them with kindness, you know, like, okay, so I, I made my perspective clear and you have come and countered my perspective and also been kind of anonymous and insulting in, in your, in your effort. And, uh, you know, I, I hope you feel better. Uh, you know, if you don't want to come here, there's a whole bunch of other stuff on the internet that you can come, that you can go look at, you know? Uh, yeah, but I, there must I, be upwards of twenty or thirty other websites <laughs> on the internet. There, there, there are. I, see, I think I've seen all of them. In fact, yeah, 
Those are the ones I know anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I don't think I, I never, I, I always try to, you know, anything that I write is something that I believe in and that, that I can stand behind. And if, and if it's something that somebody takes offense to, you know, I mean, fuck everybody's kind of a raw nerve right now anyway. Yeah. Like of yeah, course yeah. it's going to piss somebody off, but I don't, I don't set out. I don't write stuff just because I know, like, I know this is going to be, this is going to really rile somebody up or ruffle sure, somebody's sure. feathers. Cause I don't think that's very constructive. Do you, do you ever think about what you would be doing if, uh, how to avoid the bummer life never happened? No, not until right now. I mean, it's weird. I'm sorry. It's 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 a, that's a that's oh my a, god! You'd be homeless. I, I don't know, man. I mean, I wasn't when when uh, so I was working at Santa Cruz Bikes, and Rob Roskop uh, asked me, and Tim Parr asked me if I wanted to do the weblog, and I was like, okay, sure. You know, like I don't, I didn't have a computer, I didn't have an email address, I didn't have anything, I didn't have anything. And I didn't know what a weblog was. I didn't know how to use a computer. I I was just completely like, I would probably still be working at Santa Cruz, honestly, or, or a shop or mm. bending nails or something. I don't know. I don't know. And I didn't because I didn't want to become reliant on email. Like I loved physical mail and postcards and making stuff and fanzines and like physical things. I loved physical things. And I was so afraid of getting involved in a virtual profession for lack of a better term that I would become reliant on it and stop making physical things. And I was just going to be writing this electronic nonsense with nothing to show for it. But now electronic, electronic nonsense, that's your business. Yeah. Yeah. I I honestly, I, I've never, I never thought about it until right now. I don't know. I don't know. Like, that was a pretty pivotal point. I guess anybody could look at, you know, what would happen if you, if you hadn't gotten a job in a bank in 1997 or what would have happened to you? You know, there's like anytime somebody, maybe everybody has that one pivotal thing in their life or their career. Um, I think that was a big one for me and I'll be forever indebted to Roscop for believing in me and supporting me and doing that, you know, because mm. I knew that t- I knew the internet wasn't going to walk away and be like, Oh, Steve doesn't like me. I guess right. I'll go home, you know? And then, and then we'd be back to like, I would have been left in the dust, but now here we are and we have all of the ills associated with the, with the internet and like I'm smack dab in the middle of it. I wouldn't have any digital existence. I know that for sure. Um, short of maybe like my, my fine art website just as a place to house images but i wouldn't have instagram or i wouldn't have Flickr or any, you know any of the digital arms of the website like i know that i wouldn't have any of that stuff for sure what i'd be doing for a living I, god only knows axe thrower whatever yeah maybe we joked recently given all the acquisitions acquisitions and consolidations in cycling media that you would love to be acquired mm-hmm. yeah that'd be cool <laughs> Would you rather get bought by someone, say Joe Parkin? And I just picked that name <laughs> totally at random that from the be my boss would be a dream. Yeah, from the seven and a half billion humans. I just picked <laughs> Joe Parkin as an example. <laughs> and then just get paid like an employee to do what you do. Yeah. Would that change things for you? 
Uh, I think it would give me, it would, I'd free, it'd make me feel a lot freer, you know, like if I wasn't bound by the financial restraints and I was given a budget of, you know, $80,000 a year, a hundred thousand dollars a year and just do product development and do the creative stuff. Like that would be, and then I'd get, you know, a salary or whatever, like a livable wage. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the, the shit, you know, this from, doing it yourself doing freelance is really it's feast or famine you know it's really hard to create a budget when you're not sure if you're going to make a thousand dollars this month or you're going to make ten thousand dollars this month you know you just kind of you paycheck to paycheck which anybody is i guess to be fair but at least Uh, there's some consistency yeah when you get a paycheck you know what you have but i mean my experience is that you know some days i wake up and i think man i gotta I got to pitch, I got to pitch some idea to somebody to get paid <laughs> uh, or else I guess I just won't get paid. Yeah. Most of the people I know in the bike industry, actually, I wanted to say this, fall into one of two categories. Either they're living on poverty wages and they're cool with that because they're a dirtbag and they don't need much. Or they have a partner who makes a good living and that allows them to accept what the bike industry pays. Does that yeah. sound right to you? Does Would you say everyone falls into one of those two buckets? Yeah, I think that that's a pretty fair generalization. The, the joke always was, you know, behind every frame builder is a successful partner or spouse. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I think frame building, as far as my perspective goes, that's real. That's for like freelance too. You know, you might be swamped with 20 orders. Or you might not have any order. So that's right. Yeah. Um, I've lived that life. And or you got is, a second job. You know, like I know, yeah. I know some frame builders who have who have second jobs as well. I've certainly seen a lot of frame build or people try to get into frame building, like really talented people who can really know how to build a bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're not in sales. So they make great bikes, but they can't really sell them. And then they have to get a job and then they're building part time and it's in and it's out. And you can even be really cool. Like some small portion of the Veloverse can decide that you're really cool and that you are really good at that. But that doesn't mean they're going to spend their money right. to keep you employed doing that. So it's pretty. You can make cool stuff and you can be a great person, but also, you know, and 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 like the entire realm of dirt bags from the ground up can adore what you do, but they don't have three thousand dollars or two thousand dollars for a frame or whatever. Like I don't even know what does a custom frame set cost. I mean, it can cost three thousand to eight thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. I had this thing like in in my consulting when I put my consulting hat on. Did I just say that? It's okay. Yeah. I shops will say to me like, oh, I should be, you know, they'll say I should be doing more with uh, Instagram and Facebook. And I say to them, here's here's the thing. Likes aren't bikes. It's so easy for people to look at a bike that you built or a bike that you have in the shop and go, oh, clicky click. I like it. That's so Mm -hmm. cool. It's much harder for them to put four or five, six, seven thousand dollars on their credit card. So right. you plow a bunch of energy into this because you think, oh, a thousand people liked it. But of those thousand people, how many wrote you a check? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've long said, and this is mostly related to art stuff, uh, that that 
you know, if, if, if it's about being in the right place at the right time, then you got to try to be in as many places at once as possible, you know? So <clears throat> while you, yeah, social media stuff is stupid and we're generally worthless. Um, if you have eyeballs coming in from as many different directions as you can, that increases your chance to sell that, you know, make a sale on that one frame set or get an order on that one frame set or that one build or whatever. So it's all, I mean, in, in very elemental terms, I feel like that at least is a marketing push in and, in and of itself. I, I would see, I wouldn't, I'm not, what I'm saying when I say likes aren't bikes, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's not worthwhile. I'm not saying that it's worthless. What I'm saying is you can become distracted by it and put too much energy oh, into it and yeah. think that it's going to solve all your problems. It won't. It is a thing that you should do consistently. But if you think, if you're sitting down with your business and think what I really, what's going to solve my problems is Instagram. No, that's not how it works. Actually. No. Instagram can help you, but it's not, you don't need to put maybe more time into it. I had a conversation with a <clears throat> friend of mine who owns a comic book store in Oakland called um, Dr. Comics and Mr. Games. It's a sort of a dumb business name, but Michael, <laughs> the guy who owns it is a super sweet guy and he's got, they've been in business there for 25 years or something. And he always kind of marvels at it, but he just does the business. He just does the business, you know, like that's what he knows. And then at some point, I think I gave him a push on my website for some reason, or it was like uh, encouraging people to, to, um, uh, support independent businesses or something. And I was using his as an example and, or maybe somebody broke a window and stole a display or something. I, I don't remember what it was, but he, he was like, I couldn't believe the number of people that came to, a to the website and B to the store and actually bought stuff based on this one post. And it, you know, whatever, it could have been 15 people or it could have been 20 people or it could have been a hundred people. I don't, I don't know what the numbers were, but he's so, he's generally so out of touch with uh, d digital kind of vacuous digital marketing efforts <laughs> that he didn't realize that it, 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 you, you know, you put some stock into it and, right. and just one little thing created a little, a little groundswell for, for him and his business. And I thought that was really neat, you know, as shrewd a business person as he is and as much energy as he's always put into his store, he's completely dropped the ball on this, secondary realm of uh, um, marketing or, or creating some visibility for himself. And he was shocked that it actually created something, you know, it, it brought business in. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, and I say this to shops too, that content is king. Like if you put out something that's interesting, that's great. If you just put out something because you think you have to put something out, that's not good. Yeah. Because your customer's eyes glaze over. But uh, but uh, interesting, what I took away from your last anecdote there was that you're missing another even nichier sideline, which is comic book shop, <laughs> social media consulting. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still learning how to make a living. 
I really got to push this a little bit harder. Yeah. Uh, well, there was gonna there was something I was gonna. Oh, uh, so this is something that, like, because um, because the bicycle world is such a a varied group of people. Like, as a shop, you want to push you want to push your personality. Like that's an important thing. Like I get to push my personality in the pro in the projects that I do. And I don't really pull punches and I'm not ashamed of my perspective. And I like to attract people whose perspective to some degree I share. And then we can riff off each other, it turns into a little bit of an echo chamber, but and sometimes there's, you know, discussion or debate or whatever, but I don't have, you know, to the question you asked him about, do I ever, am I ever worried about losing it, losing me money? I'm not, but as an independent business owner or a bike shop owner, you're going to do some social media and you're going to say something that you maybe you feel strongly about or that shows your personality and you can potentially lose customers. Curtis Inglis and I have talked about this, you know, like uh, uh, Curtis who builds Inglis and retro tech bikes uh, and they're in Napa. He had something and it maybe it was back in it uh, in single speed worlds where he could only have you know 150 people at the race or something like he was his hands were kind of tied in terms of um uh entry numbers of entries and people were really upset about it and people were mad at him and he was kind of afraid that that might adversely affect his business and mm -hmm. you know i see that there's a real there's a real cost because you're trying to make all of the people happy all of the time without being overly generic, which is, I don't, hard. I don't think that's possible. Yeah. It's very hard. And then someone gets aggrieved and then they demand satisfaction and then, yeah. what? and then you get a negative Yelp review and yeah, it all, it all goes downhill. I've yeah. definitely seen it with uh, one-on-one -on -one bicycles in Minneapolis, which is uh, Gene and Jennifer right. Overpriller's shop. And that place has always been the, it's like a freak magnet. It's always where the weirdest, the Minneapolis's biggest nine balls are all attracted to Gene. And it's just that, that way, you know, he is, uh, an oddly brilliant business person. Um, and I think it's sort of, he, he works against his own best interests a lot of time, but he doesn't pull punches and he doesn't hold his tongue and it, it has bit him in the ass a number of times, but he, you know, he sticks to his guns and he's really, really good at what he's good at. He's terrible right. at what he's terrible at. Everybody <laughs> recognizes that, which is almost a strength, you know? Right. I don't, it's, uh, it's, it's tricky. Uh, I'm glad I don't own a bike shop. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not doing marketing or consulting for bike shops. So to wrap this up, um, you'd say you're very comfortable with your lamp lamprey like suction on the side of the great blue whale currently. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. I mean, it's good for me. It's shit at this point. It's all I know. Um, I've never really held like a, a position of actual esteem in the bike world, uh, I like where I'm at. I like yeah. the people that I've met because of it or become friends with because of it. And yeah. I hope 
I know that I, I know that I pissed people off and it's not necessarily, it wasn't my intention. And I tried to like talk my way out of it or through it, you know, but it wasn't, it was, it was, it's never been because of anything that I did that was hurtful or hateful. It's just difference of opinion or perspective, mm. really difference of perspective. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm okay with it. You? Yeah. I've had jobs. I've had, I've had, um, I've had jobs in cycling and I've had, uh, some status outside of cycling in other industries and I don't really care for it. I, I, I like where I am right now. I like the people that I get to work with. I like the work that I get to do. So, you know, it's quality of life at that point. You might not be making you might not be making a ton of money, but you know if you wake up and you're happy with what you are doing and the influence, you feel good about the influence that you're having on people. Like, not that that's going to buy groceries or pay a mortgage or whatever, but it sure makes getting out of bed a lot easier. Absolutely, absolutely, and and just you know, like our last episode was about mental health, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That was last episode. Mm-hmm. To me, that's really the most important thing, because when my mental health is bad, nothing else matters. You're no good for anybody. Right. Well, we did it. We saw we did it again. <laughs> we did it again. So many people are better off because of their, this last hour. Yeah. I'm, g- <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we could do this for them. <laughs> uh Okay, what else do we have? Uh, again, if you got any questions, concerns, comments, uh, suggestions, email us. Stevel at cyclingindependent.com or robot at cyclingindependent.com or email Stevel and BCC me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and there's also the, the, the uh, uh, advice column on the cycling independent that I answer three random questions a month. That's right. uh, About all manner of topics, be it, um, how to wrap properly wrap an extension cord. That was one, uh, what to get for someone for their mom for mother's day. That was one. Uh, some are bicycle related. Others are not, uh, fire question off and we'll get it up in the next, um, uh, post, which is, I don't know. Is this August? It is August. Maybe I've already done August, but we'll always need some for September. Yeah, yeah. Hit us up. Right. Reach us. Reach out. All right. This has been revolting. Thanks for spending time with us. Bye, everybody.